You're listening to Strong Runner Chick Radio, Episode 3. Welcome to Strong Runner Chick Radio, a leading online community where our goal is to educate, empower, and connect female distance runners across the world. We believe in healthy running, fueling, and embracing our strength as female distance runners inside and out. Through interviews with top professional, collegiate, and master's level runners, leading dietitians, coaches, sports psychologists, and runners of all shapes and sizes, we hope to spread the message that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to distance running. Now, let's get to the show. Hi, welcome to Strong Better Chick Radio. Today we have a special guest, Rachel Style. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> and with us today, we also have Kelsey. Hi, everybody. Glad to be here, and thanks for taking the time out of your day to, to listen to us. Well, um, to introduce Rachel, Rachel is the author of Running in Silence, um, a book that documents her eating disorder throughout her journey experience as a NIIA runner. Mm-hmm. And um, she is currently a cross country eating disorder and mental health advocate and has spoken around the country um, to both coaches, teams, and parents on how to help handle eating disorders, especially in runners. Um, they're really prevalent. And so, Rachel, thank you so much for being on today. Um, Rachel's been super active in Strong Runner Chicks as well, helping us get her off the ground. <laughs> Just doing so much for eating disorder and mental health awareness that it's really important. So thank you, Rachel. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's seriously an honor. I love what you guys are doing with Strong Runner Chicks. I know I always say that, but I'm just, I think it's such an awesome community. So <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. And healthy. Um, we're so happy to have you here as well. Thank you. I am doing well, you guys. Thank you so much. I'm always glad to be here and glad to. Glad to chime in um, and help out in any way I can. So, um, Rachel, what have you been up to lately? I am just finishing up the cross-country season. I coach at a high school in Michigan. Uh, so we have two more meets left. I've been involved with that. And then I have been scheduling a lot of speaking engagements. I have a big one coming up where I'm speaking to a bunch of high school cross-country coaches in Michigan. So I'm both nervous and very excited to be talking with them just to spread awareness for, you know, how prevalent eating disorders are in running or athletics in general and what they could do to help encourage their athletes to speak up and talk about it and just create more awareness. So it's been busy, but really I enjoy what I'm doing and I feel like I'm making somewhat of an impact and that's always a good feeling at the end of the day. So. <laughs> Absolutely. It definitely sounds like, and it definitely sounds, um, as coaches are a really important uh, target to speak to. Could you speak a little more about that? Yeah, I feel like coaches obviously need to know a lot of the physical parts of running workouts and um, they need times and everything to measure performance. 
But I think we also have to look at the mental aspect of the sport, which I feel like a lot of coaches are good at also. But that falls into the realm of eating disorders, which I think a lot of coaches often think that eating disorders come in the form of someone who looks visibly very thin. And while some eating disorders end up that way, there's a lot of eating disorders and norm, like what we would call normal body types. So just creating more awareness around the idea that eating disorders don't come in one shape and size and that they can really emotionally and physically devastate running careers. And that by talking about these kind of things with our athletes, they are more likely to speak about up about it if they are struggling. They're better able to recognize if they are going through something similar and catch it before it gets really bad and, you know, starts to ruin their running careers and happiness overall, quality of life. Now, going back to um, our experience what were um, some of the signs and symptoms that you exhibit um, during the process of your eating disorder? I would say when I was first developing anorexia, I was very preoccupied with food. Like I was constantly thinking about it because I was limiting how much food I was eating. But to me, I just thought I was finally eating normally because I thought my appetite was just too crazy and I had to somewhat tame it. So I was constantly thinking about food. I was constantly researching, uh, just obsessing about the certain times that I ate throughout the day. And as a runner, I wanted to be very aware of what I was putting into my body. So it's not like I was just limiting myself to one meal a day or anything. I knew to eat was important for my running career, but it became disordered in the way that I had to structure it so intensely and that I was constantly thinking about it. You know, it was was taking over my life to the point that I worried if I didn't get enough sleep, I would end up eating too much or throw off my schedule. Uh, I would say the biggest thing is my schedule was just so rigid. There was no flexibility. um, And I thought that my appetite could go out of control if I didn't control it as much as I did. So really, I guess my happiness was mostly if I was running faster and controlling my food and anything outside of that wasn't happy, which that's dangerous because if you lose the two things or one or three things that you are totally obsessed with, how are you going to be happy in the rest of your life? You know, and that's where balance comes in and why it's so important to have other things that are healthy and keep you going if you lose something. So yeah, the biggest thing is the eating disorder was just taking over my life. Yeah. And I guess, oh, oh, sorry, Megan, I was just going to put a plug there of you know, we had done the whole um, campaign on more than a runner. So um, mm. you mentioned a few times in there, Rachel, about, you know, those obsessions and those things that we love, but also realizing that we also have these other aspects of, of ourselves that are wonderful. And to take hold of those in case, you know, something happens in the future where we're not able to run. Um, so I think you bring up a really great point in that we, lo- we all love to run, but we also want to highlight the other areas of our lives so that one is a soul obsession or something that we're constantly, you know, thinking about or or, um, something that takes over our lives. Yes, absolutely. Because I know when I lost my control over food and running, I fell into depression, like almost immediately, which just goes to show that I relied and depended on all my happiness in just those two things. 
and it doesn't make you happy. Like you almost need a backup if you don't have those things anymore. So sometimes while injury is a really tough part of, you know, people's running careers, I think it's also a good way for us to step back and look at the other things that we enjoy a lot. And it's not to say that we should all just, you know, hate running or whatever. Um, Because I know there's a lot of people with big goals. And if you have big goals, you have to kind of stick to a schedule and make sure you meet those goals by having a routine, uh, as long as it just doesn't go crazy and it's taking over your life. I recently listened, I don't even remember the, gosh, I don't remember the podcast, but I recently listened to someone um, and she was talking about how fitness should fit into your life. It shouldn't be your life. So yes. you should have, you know, a life of, you know, doing things with your friends and going out to eat and, and all these different areas, but that it shouldn't be all focused on fitness. Your fitness should fit into your schedule of your day. It shouldn't be fitness and then everything else. So right. um, I think you bring up a really great point, Rachel. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but what were some things that you, um, that you did to discover yourself outside of running uh, kind of when that happened or after the fact because now obviously it's how to be balanced life um, a lot more so than you did back then so yeah, tell us some of the things that someone do and did yourself to develop your identity outside of this yeah I actually talk about it a little more going into my I'm writing my second book at the moment uh, because I think there's kind of two parts, the eating disorder and recovery. That was a big one, like going out of my comfort zone. I would say when I started hanging out with people outside of running, I gained some new perspectives and I began to realize there were really exciting things out in this world besides just running. I used to think I could only be happiest if I got a PR or had a great run. And while those things are really fun and exciting, there's a lot of cool experiences I can have. So. I started just hanging out with different people, getting to know some of the people in my like classes at school. I started lifeguarding, which I was so nervous to do that because I had been certified back in my junior year of high school and I thought I wouldn't be able to save someone because I didn't know all the skills perfectly. So for me to go back and get recertified and actually start lifeguarding again was something that I was first very uncomfortable with. And second, I was just terrified, but forcing myself to do things like that, that were uncomfortable, got me to see that our mistakes make us interesting. Not that I was going to make a mistake and end up hurting someone or not helping them enough in lifeguarding. But just, you know, going out of my comfort zone, and seeing where maybe I'm not super strong in one area, but I met like a lot of cool people through that job. I began to like drive around Michigan more to different locations where in the past that might have messed up my schedule, or I would have done things that uh, in the past when I was running, I would worry I would get injured or something. So for a while, when I took running out of my life, it pushed me to just go do a lot more things that I really would have restricted myself if I had still been intensely running. So I would highly encourage people to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and to do one thing each day that scares you. That's like my big motto now, but it's, you know, there's going to be a lot of discomfort, but that's the only way you grow. 
I love that message. Um, absolutely, that is awesome. And um, this kind of reminds me of something that's been outside of my comfort zone that I just got into this rock climbing. Yeah. And just kind of opening me up to the world of um, just experiencing things. It really is kind of scary the first time you fall in. It's like you're a beginner all over again. And so that's been something I've been doing. It's kind of humbling and just, you know, slow down and really just be more intentional. And um, also a different crowd of people that brought climbing with um, in your daily runners. So it has been really beneficial. But I think anytime you try something new outside of your comfort zone, really that's really helped you grow as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See that there's so much more fight. I couldn't agree more, Megan. I think what you're saying is is really awesome, really true to the fact that I think a lot of the times um, when we start something new, or even actually before we start the thing, that we as a society are so nervous to ask for help, and that's a big thing that we just a lot of people struggle with. And um, so when you learn something new, you know you have to ask someone, "I need help with this. I don't know how to do this." So I guess flipping this to you, Rachel. What was that like when you asked for help? How did you know you were ready to ask for help um, with your eating disorder and moving forward with that? I was not ready to ask for help, (laughs) which I often tell people, do things when you don't quite feel ready, because that probably means that's when you need to tell someone. I first told my mom when I was in my binge eating phase of the whole eating disorder process, And again, I was really uncomfortable. I was terrified to tell her. I didn't even tell her in person. And I described this whole scenario in the Running in Silence book. But I actually emailed my mom and told her about everything through email and then sat down with her and gave her a little bit more information. But really, it just took time and person by person for me to keep revealing a little more and more. Because from there, I told a teammate, and then eventually my coach, and then the whole world on the internet, when I came out with my running and silence blog, that was terrifying. But also, I had always wanted to be a writer and author. And I, one of my professors was super inspirational. He told me, well, he told the class to write the dark parts of ourselves and write about maybe our embarrassing moments, not necessarily the funny ones, but the things we think are shameful because those are the most interesting to people. And I found also that by doing that, it allowed other people to feel like they could voice their experiences. So by starting the website, I began to get a lot of messages and emails from people saying that they dealt with eating disorders as well and running or athletics in general which in turn also helped me because I was in such denial still. When I started my website and wrote, I have an eating disorder, the part of my brain fought back and said, oh, you don't really have an eating disorder because you're this weight. And if you had an eating disorder, you'd be super anorexic. So that kind of broke the misconceptions and stigma for me and hopefully for other people who found my site. So I would say it's a combination of things. I had to start telling people. I had to start writing about it. Uh, and I went to therapy and an eating disorder dietitian. So definitely a combination, but speaking up, I mean, that's why my book is called running in silence. I, by running in silence, I wasn't getting anywhere by speaking up. I was not only helping me, I was able to start helping other people. 
writing being a key role in the recovery process. Um, and then also got into speaking after the fact. Um, what was that process like to kind of translate those those words on paper and on a blog into speaking to other people about the meetings? Yeah, speaking. I didn't think was really my forte. <laughs> I took one speaking class in high school because, again, I knew I wanted to be an author. I just didn't know it'd be about a book about an eating disorder. It just kind of turned out that way. But I knew that even if I didn't write super well, I mean, I'm always trying to hone my craft with writing. But if I could balance it out by being able to speak and talk in front of people, that I could do a good job in this world. So I guess. Once it's like you have thoughts in your mind, and if you can find a way to put them on paper or on a website, you start to develop those thoughts further. And once you write a book from that website, then your thoughts are more, even more, I guess, outlined. And that transitions into my speaking engagements because I think actually by writing my book, I saw my recovery process pulled out a lot of kind of what my questions and prompts did at the end of chapters, I kind of pulled out ideas from those and made presentations from those ideas, I guess. So yeah, I would definitely say it was a gradual transition from one to the other. There's no exact formula or way you should do it. That's just kind of how it happened for me. But I found especially that if I was going to write about this stuff, I should speak about it. And especially if I was telling other coaches that we need to talk about the subject, I should talk about it as well. For the team I coach. So. so what was some of the most rewarding feedback that you received um, either from others on your blog or your book or um, when you went into public speaking engagements? Um, what were some of the things that were most rewarding for you to hear? I would say people deciding to go get treatment, uh, therapy, or see a dietitian them wanting to reach out for help because I think that's always the big first courageous step you know prompting someone to do that was very encouraging I felt like I was making a difference coaches and parents saying that they better understood eating disorders or that they were thankful that I spoke out about it or just people in general saying I don't feel like talking about this but I'm glad you are because it gives me more courage to be able to do that so Like I said, I think the more that we as a community speak up about it, the more others will and the more likely others will, you know, get treatment when they should, which is it should be well in advance. But a lot of people are still stuck in this mindset that they don't have it bad enough or they're not thin enough to seek help. And I want to emphasize we should never, ever trivialize what's difficult for us because our our, our experiences are our own. And whether they're the worst case you can think of, or what you might think could be mild to other people, I think we should all reach out at some point. So yeah, just encouraging people to reach out no matter what. I think that goes a lot for, you know, not just eating, even though that's kind of the topic Mm -hmm. we're talking about, but not just eating disorders, but any sort of mental health, um, uh, struggle you're working through or not even a mental health struggle you're working through if you're injured as a runner you know that's ch- challenging so any sort of things I think we can you know like you said Rachel reach out and speak to others about and not be ashamed of or 
not say, oh, I, or, you know, like I said earlier, be aware of, you know, being afraid of asking for help. Don't be afraid to do these things. We're all here on this earth to help one another, I think. And so, you know, Rachel, you doing all that you've done to help individuals with eating disorders, it had started a platform. You started this wave of, in, of helping others. And it's, it's really amazing. So I think we can all do that in our own way mm-hmm. um, so that people don't feel so alone. Yeah, we all have that power, which is so cool. So coming from another perspective, um, we think that coaches, parents, or teammates do if they suspect that one of their teammates or friends may have any The big thing. Yeah. The biggest thing is not to mention weight, whether it's weight gain or loss. Because if we talk about, oh, it looks like you've lost weight to someone, to most people who have an eating disorder, they may see that as praise. I know that I did when coaches mentioned it, and it didn't really get to the root of the problem. And then if someone has gained a lot of weight, maybe they're binging or dealing with bulimia or something, to mention the weight gain might cause them to restrict food further, and then, which often has the rebound effect of binging, bulimia. So weight doesn't quite get to the right place. Asking them how they're doing in their life. I know with me personally, when I was developing anorexia, I didn't realize it was an eating disorder. I just felt extremely tired, sluggish, depressed. I wasn't connecting with my friends. And whether, I mean, it could have been chicken or the egg. I don't know what came first, the depression or the anorexia. Something wasn't right. So I would say the biggest thing to point out is mood and behavior. If someone doesn't seem normal, I guess, uh, they're very, their mood or behavior is just different from how they normally are. Maybe in conjunction with weight gain or loss, you can mention that they don't seem as happy or they're secluding themselves, they're isolating themselves. Those are the biggest things I would look for in a teammate. And those are the kind of things I would mention to someone. Also, coaches just Again, I always go back to this just by talking about eating disorders. It helps other people to recognize the symptoms because, like I said, when I was going through anorexia, I didn't realize it was an eating disorder because the way I had heard eating disorders were like growing up. You know, in my mental health class, we talked about someone who barely ate every day. And I think eating disorders look different in sports. So just emphasizing the difference and explaining more of the symptoms beyond someone just getting too thin. So you brought up just at the end there, maybe some misperceptions of eating disorders. Um, could you, are there any other ones that you could bring to mind that you should be aware of or that maybe we could try to change? Yeah, I think the biggest one for me is I thought that people with eating disorders just didn't think about food or they didn't care about food. And the fact that I was obsessed with food, I thought it was just that an obsession. And I thought I was just gluttonous and greedy. And those are actually thoughts that indicate an eating disorder. Uh, So again, weight shouldn't indicate if someone has an eating disorder or not weight loss or gain. It could be a symptom. Um, The obsession with food was the biggest thing for me. I guess the biggest thing and what makes it tricky too, is that every eating disorder looks different. Someone could have a certain fear food, like a fear, like a food they won't eat, but someone else who has an eating disorder may eat that food because that's their safe food. So we all have different rules and ways we go about it. 
But I would say, yeah, those are the biggest misconceptions with eating disorders. Oh. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just thought of one, too. I guess with athletes, just eating disorders look different. Like I mentioned before, I keep saying that, but uh, anorexics or I guess anyone with eating disorders in the athletic community, they don't necessarily eat nothing. They still eat food. Uh, it might be smaller amounts or it might look like large amounts, but these large meals are lower in calories and they're burning off a lot of the calories by running. So I just want to emphasize eating disorders do look different in sports. Absolutely. I do think it can be harder to uh, really identify them, especially because in sport you're burning, you're burning so many calories mm-hmm. when you're running and your athletics that your body just requires more of it someone outside of sports like a parent might not know the difference um they might think oh she's still eating you know she eats lunch and dinner yeah don't notice that you're skipping snacks which still i mean you need more than just two or three meals uh typically as an athlete so i do think it can really look different on everyone and um i think you had mentioned this also is that males also have eating disorders it's not just females yeah it's kind of ironic but I guess it just goes to show how prevalent it is I one of the guys on my team at Aquinas also had an eating disorder he developed it I think he'd had one before but it really popped up actually a year two after I came out about mine and then I had a guy who actually went to the same high school as I did come out about his eating disorder soon after I did, I believe. But yeah, I had one guy on a cross country team in college and one in high school. And I'm sure there's so many more men out there dealing with it on other teams across the country. And the hard part with guys is that so many people think this is a women's issue. And that makes them scared to speak up about it. their eating disorders really don't look that different because when I talked to both of these guys, we could relate on a lot. Um, yeah, so I think while the amount of eating disorders in men may not be as high as women, I think it's a lot higher than statistics show just because not a lot of guys feel they can speak up about it and it's not as well known. Of a good point there, and I do appreciate that you've been sharing a lot of articles about male athletes coming out and sharing, um, just because it helps normalize that amongst male athletes that it is common, and not just in athletes but in males in general. Um, one other point that I wanted to make or have you um, point out is the difference between an eating disorder and disordered eating. Mm-hmm. Some people might be listening right now and thinking, eating disorder, I don't, I don't have an eating disorder, but uh, they may very well have some patterns of disordered eating. Um, that was something I actually experienced myself in college, was just thinking I needed to drop some weight and limit my calories, my carbs. Um, and so that kind of got to me. Uh, my freshman and sophomore year in college, but it was never a full-blown eating disorder. It was just kind of this disordered eating type of pattern. Um, and I think just with the calorie restriction and um, thinking about food a lot and low energy, 
these things um, might not be classified on the spectrum of eating disorder, they may very well be uh, eating disorder. And I was even clinically, um, how do I guess I, I participated in a study where they were classifying people and I didn't meet the, the criteria for eating disorder. So, um, but in some ways it was like, oh, well, it's not that bad then, right? Like it's not um, a full-blown eating disorder. So long-winded there, but mm -hmm. what do you think we can do um, to distinguish between the two and also to show that disorder eating is still something we should be concerned about or looking out for? Yeah, that's a really good question. I always say there's no very distinct line when you cross over from disordered eating to, to a full-blown eating disorder. I would say that, I mean, again, I'm going back to my own experience. When I, was, when I had disordered eating, I had a poor body image and I was starting to watch my food and a little bit worried about it. And for some meals, I wouldn't eat until I was full, like I normally do, because I was worried about my weight. But it wasn't to the point uh, where I had a full-blown eating disorder when it took over my whole day, when I was constantly thinking about food, weighing myself, focused on the numbers, constantly counting calories, recounting calories, low energy, falling into the depression, and then eventually binge eating, which happened multiple times a week, losing my period. So Everything that happened in the disordered eating was less intense than the eating disorder, but it still led to the eating disorder. So that's why I always emphasize when you're starting to, an ex to experience disordered eating, that's an important time to seek help because it can get worse. It's not to say for everyone it's going to develop into an eating disorder, but because there's that chance, it is very important to look at and again never to trivialize disordered eating because it can be just as dangerous as an eating disorder. Yeah, Megan, you brought up a really good point when you're speaking about that label that we throw on, you know, it, how that impacts someone, um, and whether that uh, you know, gets them the help that they actually need. So if someone has disordered eating, you know, they may think, like you said, that it's not serious enough to go get help. And in reality, you know, because they haven't had put that label of having an eating disorder, they, they might just throw it away and continue with their habits. But like Rachel, you just said, it's so important to go get that help because it could, you never know what could happen down the road. So I, I really, really want to emphasize that it's important to continue to get help no matter what. And both bring up really great points about that. Yeah, absolutely. And Kelsey, I think you make a point there too, like um, in seeking help before you think it's too much of a problem in mental health settings as well as mm -hmm. maybe going to see a sports psychologist or um, a mental health counselor if you have any, you know, you're experiencing periods of sadness or certain things that um, you, you feel like maybe I, I don't have depression or I don't have anxiety, but it might be. Um, something that you want to address so I just think being proactive like anyone can benefit from meeting with a mental health professional regardless of how well off they're doing right now or uh, meeting with a dietitian just to make sure you're everything's in check and I'm uh, going well so yeah I think seeking help kind of bring it where you're ready to these um, things and just 
optimize everything. I couldn't agree with more with uh, that, Megan. I'm really glad you said that because I think even if even if you don't think that there's anything quote unquote wrong with you, I mean, just having someone to talk to who is non biased, doesn't have, is not going to judge you. Do you know how helpful that is? Like that is so helpful to have someone to sit there and listen to you. And they don't have to say anything, but the fact that you can get what you need off your chest, oh, that, that relief is so wonderful. I can speak from experience. I've been to therapy for many, many years and I love it. Like I will totally be mm-hmm. going to it for the rest of my life because I think it's just wonderful. And I will admit that I am a sports psych consultant. So maybe there's a little bias there, <laughs> but I just really think that people need to speak and need to be heard. So um, I really want to second what you said there, Megan. Yes. Okay. What direction do we want to head in the conversation? Okay. We can go many different directions. <laughs> um, maybe before we do that, we just wanted to speak really quickly. Um, two things that are going on in um, the Strong Runner Chick world. Um, we do have a giveaway that's going on. Um, so we are partnering with Wildway, this wonderful hot cereal um, and granola company. In addition, they actually started smoothie, making smoothie uh, starters. So those are, I've heard, are very delicious. But anyways, we have a giveaway going on um, and it'll be closing tomorrow. So we don't think we'll get this podcast out tomorrow, but you have a 10% off code using um, the word run wild in all caps with a one at the end. So that's R-U-N-W-I-L-D one. And you can use that until um, the end of the month on their website or Amazon. And then Megan, just with her magical podcast editing, you want to talk about what you just released? Yes, um, we just released our second episode of Strong Runnership Radio uh, with guest Gabby, who is an ultra marathon runner. Um, and Rachel's going to be our third episode. So while you're tuning in here, you can go back and listen to episode two if you haven't already. Um, Gabby offers a wealth of wisdom at the age of, I believe she's only 21, but she is awesome. And she's in school right now for sociology. Um, working for new labs and doing lots of fun, exciting stuff. So go tune in um, to episode two and also give Gabby a shout out as she runs her first 100 mile race in November. So, wow. Stuff. But yeah, anyway, we'll get back to what she's here now. And she'll know things really So, um, Rachel, what does your current routine look like? Um, I hear you have quite a few jobs so let us know what's going on yeah so I have to have a job to actually make money (laughs) Um, because what I do is mostly out of passion it's not a money maker I know some people think authors just bring in the books while these books sell and everything that's not quite how it works but like I said I'm passionate about it I love it Uh, so I work at an investment management that brings in the money And whenever I get time after coaching cross country and maybe lifeguarding a little bit, I work on uh, preparing for upcoming presentations, any marketing and promotion I need to work to do for my with my publisher. I am working on my second book. Whenever I do get time, I'm working on editing and revising. And I want to get out an ebook too to share all my journal entries. 
that weren't included in the first book. If I would have included all the journal entries, it would have been very long and maybe boring. But I know some people are interested in all the little details without it being triggering or anything. So I've been working on that a little bit. And I'm not I'm trying not to be a workaholic either. So I exercise a few times a week just for fun with friends that want to run or aqua drag. I have a social life on the weekends sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just really embracing life. I enjoy working, but I also value downtime and reading and hanging out with my friends. My relationships have developed so much better since recovering from the eating disorder. Like I said, I had so much so much of a rigid schedule before that now I have so much flexibility. It's really, really nice and freeing. <laughs> Oh my goodness, you sound so joyful and so happy. It, it, it almost, it's really, really thrilling to hear and it's thrilling to hear um, how happy you sound. Um, and not many people, like you said previously, or you said that this is your passion, you get to follow your passion. Not many people get to do that. So that's really amazing. And speaking about your passion, your second book, what can we expect from that? Yeah, so... I kind of say there's two phases of my recovery process. I would think the first one was a large chunk of it because it details how I came to understand I had my eating disorder, how I worked through it going into my final few seasons of cross country and track. And the second one, I actually broke my kneecap. We don't know if it was a bone density issue. They said it was maybe vitamin D or my quad contracted violently because the kneecap broke while I was running. So it's obviously dealing with a big injury recovery process there, uh, but also breaking away from running. And when you guys talk about the hashtag more than just a runner, that is like the epitome of my book <laughs> and figuring out who I could be outside of just running, you know, working through the injury, but also transitioning to a life outside of running. And I know for even high schoolers and college athletes or Olympians, you know, they finish up their sport and they might fall into a depression because their identity for so long has been their sport. So I look at that transition as well. It's not just the eating disorder. I think it phases a little bit, phases out of the eating disorder topic and looks more into that big transition out of college or high school oh that's so that's such an important topic to talk about because um that whole identity wrapped up in that identity a runner is so or even or whatever it may be a dancer or uh, a chef even or i don't know whatever it may be is so tricky um, mm -hmm. because you can it's your passion so you love it so you want to do it all the time but at the same time if you don't develop your other passions you know it, it and your first love kind of goes away from you, gosh, you know, what happens then? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's, that's really, really important to be, like you were saying earlier, proactive on that and realize early on in your career that you're more than a runner or you're more than a chef or more than a dancer. Um, you're more, you have all these other wonderful attributes about you. So being proactive on that sense too, I think would be really important. Yes. Even speaking to that, I think that could manifest manifests itself into a pattern so when you graduate um, college if you are a runner in college making sure that you're not just slipping back into that pattern of being all in or you know 
a lawyer or accountant or teacher, whatever your job is after college, that you're also making time for other things. So I really think that that's such a valuable lesson to learn is just this kind of, kind of uh, balance as a whole. But of course, there's, it's hard to strike the perfect balance of life, but just making sure that you have more components in your life that really fill you up. Um, but when bucket goes away, you still have a whole bunch of others. Yes, exactly. And yeah. then kind of going off of that, what is your um, biggest piece of advice to give to your younger 20-year-old self? I would say to... I guess what I'm doing now by facing my fears each day, I mentioned before that doing one thing each day that scares you will help you to grow. And I was avoiding a lot of the things that scared me. I also wish I would have spoken up more about what I was dealing with. I guess at the time, I didn't really know so many people were dealing with it. So it's hard to tell myself that if I didn't know. But uh, yeah, just realizing that so many people go through similar experiences and that we can be there for each other. And yeah, that I wasn't alone. And it's okay to speak up and it's okay to get help. That's so that's really important that like that you're able to say that you came to realize that you weren't alone. I mean, I too struggled with an disorder was diagnosed with the eating disorder and the best thing that I did was telling people mm-hmm. I mean it was it was that instant of like knowing that other people knew but not only that that they felt comfortable to share with me their story that's so powerful because now you have a bond with someone that you never really knew struggled like you did um so there are, to those of you who are listening who are struggling there are more people like you out there and don't be ashamed of it um speak up and don't be afraid to get help because as you've seen in Rachel, um, she has done that and it took a while um, and it took a lot of strength and a lot of courage on her end, but it's worth it. And I can speak to that too. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, what is a strong runner check? What does being a strong runner check mean to you? It means, like, I guess the whole time we've been talking here is being more than just a runner. So finding the wonderful sides of ourselves that aren't just running. I think you guys do a great job with strong runner chicks showing that we can all have really fun personalities and that running can be a tool to bring out different personalities, but that it's not everything and it's not who we are. It's just something that we do that makes us happy alongside a lot of other things. So, you know, being a strong, (laughs) strong runner, being strong physically and mentally with a good balance in life you guys just do such a great job with all that so yeah (laughs) thank you and same right back to you (laughs) (laughs) and rachel where um, can strong runner chicks find you and connect with you online so i have my website runningandsilence.com that was the first thing i started i also have a facebook page just running in silence. I started an Instagram half a year ago now. I was kind of late to the game with that, but I'm seeing how cool it is. So I have Instagram is just at running in silence. I have a Twitter as well. 
but I would say the website has all the information. YouTube channel, I have an interview with a guy, a male runner with an eating disorder. I have interviews with my parents and their perspectives on how they dealt with my eating disorder. So a lot of information on there. I would mostly say the YouTube channel and my website have a lot of resources. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. My book. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah. So my running in silence book is available on Amazon as well as the online Barnes and Noble site. And uh, people can order it for me, too. I'm happy to sign it and send it to them. But most people go to Amazon. So. <laughs> Oh, well, Rachel, thank thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us tonight. It's really been a pleasure, as always, and we love all that you do and support you in any way that we can. So um, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I can't emphasize enough, like, what a great community this is and all the wonderful stuff you guys are doing. I've loved being a part of it. It's, yeah, just keep rocking it. It's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. We're so fortunate to have you as part of the community, too. So, um, Strong Runner Chicks, if you're listening now, go check out Rachel at runninginsilence.com. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> at Running in Silence. Also, check out her book on Amazon or on her website. Um, and we can't wait to release this episode. So, yeah. Woo! <laughs> All right, you guys, have a great night, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Strong Runner Chicks Radio. Do us a favor and leave a review in iTunes to help spread awareness and foster the SRC community. Additionally, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Strong Run Chicks.